Good morning, everybody. We'll be in Psalm 127 this morning in our series going through different psalms each week for the summertime. Um, There's a few things that make this psalm particularly relevant to me, and they have been relevant to me since um, July 2017. 18, something like that, because uh, the reason I remember it so accurately, obviously, is because uh, my first Sunday at Ambassador Church when I was asked to teach on something, um, the task was to preach a summer sermon series um, through the Psalms, and we preached the first Sunday of that uh, series was Psalm 127. So um, I, I was like, I think I've preached on Psalm 127 before. When was that? And I looked through all my old notes, which are like a jumbled mess of things that are hard to, hard to find and hard to locate. And um, so this topic, this issue has been relevant to me since it was my first sermon at Ambassador Church, but it also really rang true to me for two different reasons. At that stage in our life, I took that Enneagram test. Anyone taken that weird Enneagram test before? And you get a number, and you got this other number that's somehow relevant. And a lot of Christians are like, you know, it's some sort of weird voodoo stuff that Christians should stay away from. But I took the test, and I got a a three on the test, which is the achiever. And I read the description of it, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty darn accurate. It's the achiever. It's the person who works hard, is probably willing to work like long hours to get a little too obsessed about work. You identify a little bit too much with what you accomplish in life. You're always looking for some sort of hill to climb. And I remember reading that and being like, okay, enough is enough. Like, I, uh, I don't like being perfectly identified by some number. You know what I mean? But it's true. I'm, a, I'm a, an Enneagram 3. I'm an achiever. I'm a, a person who's always looking for some sort of hill to, uh, to hike up. Uh, figuratively speaking. And so it's important for Christians who are the achiever types or the hard worker types, the people who identify too much with what they accomplish in life, it's important for us to trust in God's sovereignty, God's giving, God's control over all the things in life because um, what our psalm tells us is that God is the decider on what really comes to pass in the world. There's a way to toil and stay up late and not sleep right and to just achieve and achieve and achieve and work and work and work and plan and plan and plan. But in the end, all those things are frivolous if God is not the one who is the decider and the the end point actor. So I need Psalm 127 for my life because that's just my Enneagram type. Uh, Secondly, this psalm was relevant to us because the second half of our psalm is about children. Children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord, and that stage of life, we were, I think we were two and a half years into infertility, and we were trying to have a kid, and I remember us being nervous before we ever even started trying to have a kid, where we were like, oh, uh, what if God doesn't give us children, and we really need to pray and trust the Lord with whatever happens? What if we're bad parents? What if our kids are harder than we can handle? You know, all the fears that you have when you're trying to have a kid, and then pregnant with a kid, and then I realized when, with this whole family thing, there's like always the next thing to be anxious about. Like when you have preteens, you're like, these people are so weird and their feet are size 13 and they smell weird and like, what's going to happen when they're teenagers? And then when they're teenagers, you think, what's going to happen with their young adult life? Will they keep their faith or will they they want Jesus in their life? There's always the next thing to be afraid of, which is like the crazy thing about, about parenting. So we're two and a half years into just being worried about, could we ever get pregnant? And, um, we were at, um, a few months after our move to Ambassador Church. I'm, I'm forgetting the timeline a little bit. We were at Burrito Brothers in La Habra, and my wife had a pregnancy test in her uh, purse, and she was like, 
I'm going to go into the bathroom. And then she came out and she was just like, <laughs> like burrito in line at Burrito Brothers, which if you've ever been there before, it's like uh, it's like a tiny little burrito place by Home Depot, like in La Habra. There, it's not a place where you imagine like having a monumental life moment, you know. Uh, we knew before we got pregnant with all the stuff and all the tests and all the worrying and all the diet changes and all the working out and all the don't wear those tight pants anymore, don't let your laptop sit on your lap anymore, all the things that you go like, what does it take to get pregnant? That in the end, you can change all the factors you want. The, the God who's in charge of everything, the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who acts, he is a deciding factor in all of these things. And I think we, we learned that lesson in Burrito Brothers, uh, you know, that, that evening. Psalm 127, a powerful psalm for the people of God as well. It says in the beginning of the psalm that it's a psalm of ascent, which means it's the psalm recited as the people of God are walking into Jerusalem up to the Temple Mount, walking to the building of God walking to the most important part of their connection with the Lord that needs to be watched over and needs to be protected. It's a psalm of Solomon, the biggest builder of the temple, the the most achieving person to that day, son of King David. So you can imagine it being relevant now that we think of those things, walking as God's people, reciting this psalm together, thinking of God sovereign, powerful over everything, Uh, giving nature. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, trusting in God's sovereign giving. We're going to talk about where to trust Him, when we don't trust Him, what that looks like, and then what it looks like to trust in the Lord. Where do we trust Him? We trust Him in every stage of life, every area of life. That's what the Christian life is meant to be lived with. That's the way of Jesus. It's like, it's meant to be all of life encompassing. Think of the people who followed Jesus. They weren't just following Jesus by appointment. They went along with him. He called them, they gave up their lives, and they lived life with him. It was very life on life in that process. The Christian life is no different even today. We trust him in every part of life. Look in the passage here in verse 1. We talk about a house. We're talking about now the city. So now what happens in the house? It's family, it's safety, it's, it's a place to rest. Now we're backing up and saying the Lord watches over the city. And then the second half of the psalm is about kids. Every area of life, civic life, home life, family life, ascent, walking to the temple life, you know, our our religious identity, our faith identity, all those things are meant to be encompassed by things that that God watches over and lives with us in. So God provides sovereignly, and he's the deciding factor in the city, the house, the food, the family, identity, life, all of those things. And that's a good thing. Let's do just early, early in the sermon application. If you perfectly believed that God was sovereign, in the end he was the one who decided, wouldn't that make you a more humble, successful person? Like when the successes of life come into your plans and you make a plan, you execute it, and it happens... Wouldn't, knowing that God was the deciding factor in it, wouldn't that make you a more humble person? Because you, could, you would never be one of those obnoxious people who has kind of gone from strength to strength in life. And then because they're good at finances, they think they're also good at politics. And because they're, because they're just like good at one area of life, they also think they have a right to like speak into your parenting. Have you ever noticed that? People who are just very successful in a lot of things, they think they know things about everything. They never say, you know what, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm just going to stick to my lane. They never say that. It's always, well, you know what 
the president should do. And it's like everything is because their experience is gone from strength to strength. And on some level, that's an indication that if they ever said it out loud in full honesty, they would say, I'm a savvy person who's a little bit sharper and worked really hard, made the good choices, and that's why I'm in the position that I'm in today. But wouldn't it be the case that if you knew that there's a whole host of very smart, well-intentioned people of character who work super hard on all sorts of things, and then they flop horribly, and that God is the one who has sovereign control over a lot of different things in life. It would make you a humble person. It would also make you a more encouraged person in failure, because you wouldn't have to have so much identity wrapped up in just the successes of your efforts. Like, if you, never, if you didn't end up being the parent that you really envision yourself to be with kids that just hang on your legs and always talk like, Mom, you're so, you're so great, you know? And they're always just, like, perfectly obedient. Like, that, just, that little picture of a Hallmark card never came to pass in your life. That You would say, you know what? Like, in my family, I'm meant to work and participate and, and wake up to work and to, to get things done. I'm thinking here as a parent. Like, I'm meant to still be active in my parenting, And yet, there's no promise that every part of life on this side of heaven pans out the way you envision. So even in the most of you, you feel like a failure as a parent or a failure in school or a failure in in work. Those failures would be tempered a little bit. It wouldn't go to your heart in the same way if you said, you know what? The God who calls me beloved, in verse 3, is sovereign over every outcome in my life. And I have a participation in work. You'll notice in verse 1, it's saying... The builders labor, so there's still people working. And the Lord watches over the city, but the guards stand watch in vain, but the guards are still standing watch. You know what I'm saying? The Christian life is not meant to just say, hey, God just does everything, and I never participate in anything. These people are working, but they have a a sense of freedom in their, or or they could have a sense of freedom in their work to say, I labor, I study, I put, I, I, I leave it on the field, to use a sports metaphor, and yet the failures will not go to my heart. Because I know that God could have orchestrated things to work out perfectly, or he didn't. So that might be an uncomfortable thing in the late modern West, where we're, we're the most individualistic society that, is ever, that the world has ever seen. We love our freedom. Uh, we love our independence. Our vision of God has to involve free will because we live in a democracy where we vote for the people who are in charge of our country. And we've, we live in that world where I need to have, like, I'm the sovereign. That's the individualistic sort of mantra. It might be uncomfortable for us to say, yeah, the, the Lord does watch over things. He does work, and we work. And then somewhere in the midst of our action and God's action, there is, um, there is I don't even know how to say it. Like, it's not even a spectrum of free will to God's sovereignty, but there's a need-to-know basis, I guess, that God has given us with his word that says, you act God acts, but you should know that God is the decider of all things. Secondly, second point, this is what it looks like when we don't trust the Lord. The psalmist gives us a picture of what our lives look like when we don't trust, and it's the word repeated in verse 1 and 2, vain. Unless the the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early, and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. The, another translation of the Hebrew says, eating the bread of anxious toil. 
And I like that because it's, it's a little bit more literal, but it involves the action of like taking a loaf of bread that if you looked at it would just be labeled like anxious toil. And you're saying, I'm willingly taking this into my life and saying, this is what I want right now. I want to be able to control my life so much that I'm taking in anxious toil. I wonder if you've ever looked at a few years of your life and felt like, uh, boy, there was a lot of vain, wasted labor. Like that feeling of regret is a very powerful feeling. Like for those of you who are students, like college students, you work really hard. I don't know if this still happens actually, because I was in college a, a few years ago now, like 20 years ago. And uh, like you would write a paper and then you would not save it. And then you would be like, oh, time to save. And then your battery on your laptop or something would go out. Has anyone else had that? Like actually you go like, I actually wasted the paper. And that feeling like, I could snap that laptop in half into 10 different pieces. You know what I mean? Like, what a terrible feeling, that vain toil. And that's just one microcosm of it that you experience when you're, you know, you're studying something. But, you know, sometimes you look back on a whole decade and you go, I worked really hard and I can't think of the positive benefits that came from it. Well, if we, the message, this, this psalm can actually function as a bit of a warning. It's saying, unless you recognize, live with, and unless the, the Lord builds, the building will just not come to pass. And, and you can watch all you want. You can be anxious looking at every part of your life. You can check your email 2,000 times a day. But unless the Lord is watching, you watch in vain. And I just think, I think when we pause for a minute, we recognize like that is a truism, that unless the Lord is providing for the things that go on in your life, you could check your email a gazillion times. It wouldn't really change anything. And there's a parallel here with like worry and fear. You can be as worried as you want about your future. You can be as fearful about what may come, but the nature of fear and worry is that they don't always help anything good come to pass. In fact, that kind of preoccupation with worry and fear can make you so wrecked that you don't even have like gas in the tank to provide something good in your life. You're so worried about um, this outcome that may or may not happen that you're now so miserable and you're not eating right or you're not sleeping. Sleeping's a message here, you know, in the song that now you're actually hurting yourself with it. And so there's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a way that trusting in the Lord here on a theological level can even affect you physiologically to let go of your fear and worry and knots that are in your gut, to theologically change your, your body and, and what it feels like to go through hard times, what it feels like to think about the future, but to know that you have a God who's good in charge of everything. That's my hope for us, at least. If you are like me, you're a little bit of an anxious person, sometimes you can just feel it here, sometimes you can feel it in the, in the brain forehead tension, and you're thinking about what might happen, that there's a theological effect that might even help you to just have, like, rest, less crow's feet, I don't know, less, less of this wrinkle thing right here, because you're not constantly trying to clench your way through life. So that's the message, in part, it's a warning to us in verses 1 and 2. And there's one more bit of application for point two here is that um, there's a way for us to work really hard and have it be vain because the thing that we work for is not of, of great consequence. 
Dwight Moody said that our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And I, I don't know that I, I mean, I, I became a pastor as a like vocation. So, and I've been at about for almost 20 years now or 18 years now. And uh, I'm looking back at like a lot of interesting, cool stuff that God has done. And, and I don't think that project by any means has been in vain, but there are lots of times of worry and lots of fear and lots of um, times of like inordinate frustration at things that I go, oh yeah, that was like really vain acting. So maybe in, in a small, small way or in a large way, you might look at a part of your life and say, my biggest fear should not be failing. My biggest fear should be succeeding or even just working really hard at something that in the end doesn't have like a huge consequence, something that I don't have control over. Point three, here's what it looks like to trust the Lord. Sometimes you find a quote that so perfectly sums up the sermon, you have to wait till the third point to say it, otherwise you guys would have checked out. Victor Hugo uh, said that to have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones, and when you have labor, laboriously accomplished your daily task, Go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Go to sleep in peace. God is awake. That is a, a paraphrase of the end of verse 2. Let's read verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants sleep to those he loves. The, there is sort of a, a note in your Bible about the translation of this verse because the Hebrew is actually ambiguous and meant to be interpreted because the Hebrew could equally be translated as, for he grants while his beloved sleep. Now think about the difference between those. He gives sleep to those he loves, which is true. It's a blessing for those who are non-anxious to be able to rest from the Lord. But given the context for... Uh, things that we could explain if we had a little bit more time. I think the alternate translation is a, a real blessing to us and an accurate one. That God bl blesses and grants while his beloved sleep. He's working. He's awake. He's hypervigilant so that you don't have to be. And what that means for us is that you can have a kind of restfulness with your life which I think feels particularly relevant to me because I have a newborn and a two-year-old and that two-year-old is potty training right now. So it's like, children are a heritage from the Lord. And then my kid's like, yeah, you know, like, okay, a heritage from the Lord, a real gift. So like, uh, I, you know, not sleeping, getting peed on. And like all of that stuff, like rest is a commodity right now in the Glime household. And, but there's a restfulness to our worship that we talked about a few weeks ago with our psalm. And then here it comes again in the psalms, a psalm of ascent, walking to the temple. We're about to be in the presence of God in the temple to make sacrifices to our God, remind ourselves physically who he is. And here it's saying God gives you a kind of restfulness because you can't always be on watch. You can't always white knuckle your way through life and just have control over all of it. You, even if you're a building person, building a life for your family, building a family, building, building a, a vocation, whatever, whatever thing you're trying to create in life, you can't handle all of that. But you can rest knowing that the God who calls you beloved 
is at work. So, he grants sleep to those he loves, but in a functional way, the alternate translation, while you're sleeping, God can accomplish more than if you were to constantly stand watch and think that all of the building and supplying in your life is up to you. That kind of rest can truly be found for us in Jesus. Think about the last words Jesus spoke on the cross. He said, it's finished. It's finished. That is, um, that is speaking of a past tense thing. So he's about to die on the cross. He's taking on the punishment for all of our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. That's the whole reason why the cross is so significant. And so he's speaking of the past tense of a thing that's happening at the very time he utters those words because it's trying to convey to us a sense of completion. It is finished means the work has been done on your behalf. And so on a deep soul level, for those of us who are looking Enneagram 3 types, looking for some sort of significance by finding our place in the world, or for those of us who are any other personality type or any other thing that you get worried about that might be different than the things I get worried about, on a deep soul level, you can say to yourself the same words that Jesus says to us. It is finished. The real work to reconcile you to God, the real work to prove to you that you are beloved, the real work to give you a future that is secure, that can give you hope today, has been accomplished for you through Christ's work on the cross. Pete, uh, I'll leave you with this. Pete Scazzaro, Cesaro, I forget how to pronounce it, but he wrote that book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and one of the chapters in that book talks about God's gift of limitations. God's gift of limitations means you should look at the, the weaknesses in your life, the, your inability to, to be all the Enneagram types, your, your ability to, to have extroversion when you're introverted, your ability to achieve when you're tired, like all the things that we want to be like uber, super people, but we just can't always achieve it. We should look at those limitations as gifts from the Lord because those are the things that allow us to say, I'm, I'm tired, or um, I just can't be good at that because that's just not who I am, or I'm failing at something and, you know, at work or in life or whatever. And it allows you to say, God, I need you desperately. The limitations that we have in life allow us to say the same thing that Paul said that the Lord gave him, which is that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Psalm 127 tells those of us with limitations, those of us with um, anxious, toiling work, that God is good and that God is powerful and great over every circumstance of life. And that is the best possible scenario to give us a restful kind of life where we live with the Lord. Let's pray.